0: Uh, so our first announcement is Jordan.
1: Well, hello. Good morning, everyone. Mark said my name is Jordan. I am the youth director here at The Well. And not only that, but I am the tech director. So many of you may maybe have heard the, the little booth back there. It's called the Bridge. That's what we call it, or the audio-visual uh, booth. And um, I, I just wanted to share a little bit about some of the things that we do back there, because I, I see a lot of young and old faces that perhaps could maybe turn some knobs and stuff back there. Uh, so, so like I said, I, I do youth stuff and, and tech stuff. And you know, we, we have a pretty small team back there. We actually have a, a picture of a few of us. There we are. And I don't know if you can see Shiloh. We had to make sure she got in there. She was taking the picture for us. Uh, so we have a few others that are in there as well. And uh, you know, we, we talk about volunteering here a lot, and you know, one of the really I think important things that's that's more important than volunteering is and I mentioned this last week uh, when I was sharing was the whole idea of family. And so last week Mark was like, Hey, why are you here at worship rehearsal? And for me I, I think God really put on my heart to was the whole idea of family. And we 're here as a family, and one of the great privileges that we have as the church is that God has actually gifted all of us uniquely, so we do have talents and skills in a kind of human sense. We can all do things, and we're gifted, and you know many of that is seen in the jobs that we have. but God has gifted us uniquely with spiritual gifts, and everyone has them as a believer, and so one of the things that I think that makes us a family is the way that those gifts are used for and with each other, and the way that we help and build one another up. And so, although, I, of course, we always ask for volunteers for us to really work together as the church. And I, I really think, and, and I'm asking, you know, for you to seek an opportunity to bless people here in a maybe unconventional way by by jo- joining the uh, the tech team. Now, some of you, I know, a lot of you say, well. That's scary and complicated, and I yeah, I see you there, <laughs> and and I don't know how to do that. And you know, wh- whenever something's new, we, we don't know how to do it, and you know, we learn. And I would, if you asked me ten years ago, do you think you'd be preaching on a Sunday or talking to students? I would say no, because my gifting is is like serving. That's really where I feel like my gifting is set. That's why I like to be in the back, not up here. I, I don't like being on stage in front of everybody, but I just want to encourage you to really pray and seek, you know, God, what are my gifts? How can I bless people in the church? Because that's really what we get to do. We get to bless all you with sound that just enhances our time together and enhances, you know, gives people the ability to watch this online. And so we in the bridge are, you got it, We We want you... (laughs) To think about coming back and, and learning. And I just wanna say I was thinking about sharing this today, and Isaac's like, hey, someone just asked if I could they could go and, and help surf. So they're actually in there first time today, and they don't know anything. <laughs> At least I don't think. He he's never done it, been in the the sound booth, and I I Isaac said I'm gonna make sure that he does something with the camera. So so someone first time back there, and so I just encourage you to Think about the ways that God could maybe has gifted you that you could just bless people. And it's a great opportunity to learn something new and to enjoy fellowship and just be a part of God's family. So thank you.
0: Thank you, Jordan. So just a few more family uh, business items. Um, As many of you know, uh, we have a mission trip. This June, June 18 to 24, going down to Mexico with Homes of Hope, we're building two houses. So we have a first, and I, it's kind of honestly kind of a good news, bad news thing. This is the first time ever, I've been leading these trips for 20 years. This is the first time we've ever filled up. So we are literally, as of Friday, the trip's full. I got a waiting list of people who are hoping to jump in on the trip, so... Praise the Lord for that. That is God's faithfulness and God's work in all of our hearts. So that is good news. Um, So I've always talked about three things that all of us can participate in. You can go on the trip, but sorry. Sorry not in June, uh, we're full. Uh, you can pray, and that's something you can be doing for the 25 people who are going down on this trip and just be really thinking about them and the YWAM team that we work with and the two families that we're going to be building homes for. And you can give money. Uh, this trip is not cheap. We have a target of about $28,000. That's just the cost of building the two houses themselves. All of our labor, everything else is free. And so far, we have collected about 40. So we're making good progress. Uh, If the Lord puts it on your heart to just donate, there's lots. of Any way you donate to the church, you can just make it out to Mexico. Just that one word on there makes it clear where that money's going to be going. So um, uh, something else, Good Friday service uh, coming up on April 7th. It's going to be at 6.30 p.m. down at Libby Bowl, And, uh, actually, I think our church is doing worship, right? So we're responsible for worship. We encourage you to join us on April 7th, 630, down at Libby Bowl. Um, On that uh, following Sunday, on Easter Sunday, you've heard a lot about it. There's going to be a lot of activity Going on after church. It's kid centric, but it's all family friendly. So there's going to be food, there's going to be entertainment, there's going to be a couple of jolly jumps, there's uh, the Easter egg hunt for the kids. So lots of things for adults and kids. We encourage everyone to come. Um, We are still looking. We've got a lot of the pre filled eggs. Thank you for those of you who've donated them already. We do uh, have room for a little bit more. So if you'd like to buy and purchase and bring some pre filled, filled eggs, uh, we'll put those to good use. Um, And lastly, um, our brother Pat Pagnisat passed away and went to be with the Lord recently, and we are having a family memorial for Pat on Saturday, April 15th, 2 o'clock here. Um, We'll be reminding everybody about that between now and then. If you have any questions, Pastor Tyler is the guy to see. So let me just pray, and if you'll stand, we're going to move into some more worship.
2: Survey, how many of you have had a chance to uh, see the movie Jesus Revolution? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, I Actually, in the last couple weeks, had a chance to see it twice. And both times, I was blessed. Both times, I actually got kind of nostalgic about it. And, you know, uh, I was privileged uh, when I first came to the Lord back in the late 80s. Uh, my wife brought me to a Calvary Chapel in San Diego, and the pastor of uh, that Calvary Chapel came out of Chuck Smith's original group, one of the pastors, and was sent down to California, uh, down to San Diego, with the vision to plant church. And Pastor Mike McIntosh and Horizon Christian Fellowship, um, you know, the Lord just continued to move. And, and I remember, as a as a young believer. We would go, and, and I, you know, I come out of the Calvary chapels, and they don't call it church service. They just call them Bible studies. And so we would go to Sunday night Bible study. And I'll never forget, uh, even in the late 80s, the movement of the Lord. We would get, the Horizon was um, on a junior high campus that they, they were uh, renting out down in Claremont. And we would, the service started around, uh, I think it was 5 o'clock. But I kid you not, it was something to behold. We would get there about 4.30 and there were people waiting outside for the doors to open. It, it, was, it was stunning. I was like, what is this? And like, they had to keep the doors closed because the worship team was still rehearsing. But just so many people excited to be there could not wait for the doors to open. And when the doors opened, there literally was a concert rush because they wanted to come to the front for worship. And I was like, what is this? This, is, this was awesome. And, and so many people were coming out on Sunday evenings that they eventually had to go to two services. They were filling this high school gym, and they had overflow rooms. And it was just this incredible movement of the Lord. And to be a part of that enthusiasm, enthusiasm. It wasn't, it wasn't entertainment. There was no big celebrity. It was a Bible study. And Sunday nights, people were coming to open God's Word. And they were being saved, and they were being transformed. And it was so neat to see and, and, and kind of relive and, and appreciate where it all came from. Uh, and then to get, get sort of on that, that tail end of it, if you will. I mean, Lord's still moving through the Calvaries, but you know, to actually be a part of that, that sense of that wave of enthusiasm. You know, just just remarkable to see that many people that early at church excited and waiting for the doors to open. That, that was amazing. So I, I, I've watched it, and, and so I thought of that. And then, you know, another thing that, that I, I left each time uh, after watching the Jesus Revolution, you know what else I thought of? I, so I thought of my, my start in, in church dumb and in evangelical church dumb and in, in ministry. And then, almost in the same blink, I think about you. And I think about what God's doing at the well and has been doing in 13 years. I think about, you know, the 20, 21 men that showed up yesterday for men's breakfast. I think about the women and, and the ministry that's happening with all the Bible studies and, and the events that are happening in the women. I think of the youth. I think of what's happening in the kingdom kids. And, and sometimes, you know, you watch these movies and you think that God is, has, for it to be validated, for it to be celebrated, it has to be big. It has to be a revolution. And, and I kid you not, you know, I've served in churches of, of thousands, mega churches, and, and what God does there, did there and, and my enjoyment of that and appreciation of that is no different than what he's doing right here. It's no different. And, and I want you to understand that. I want you to celebrate that because sometimes in them for whatever reason, we get caught up in a numbers game and somehow we're validated or God's movement is validated because, you know, the question you ask is how many people? how big is your church, right? And you've heard me always say, I kind of, I flip that around coming from mega church, and I just kind of flip that. So when people say, how big is the well? How many people come to your church? I just literally say, under a (laughs) 1,000. And I walk away, and I just let them ponder that. Because it's true, right? (laughs) But see, it's funny, because in the world of church growth and success, and when you say 1,000 or something, they're like, oh, they don't know it's Nine times less than uh, but it's okay. It's okay. But that's weird because you have to choose literally to, to stop and say, wait, how am I, how am I viewing success even? How do, how do, what am I choosing to celebrate? And I just want you to know, for me and even the elders, we just celebrate you. We celebrate what God is doing in your life and in your marriage and in your home, right? Uh, however many... This church was birthed out of a living room right in this, in this neighborhood right here. And if you would have told me 13 years ago that this particular group would be here 13 years later, I inconceivable that we would own this property and that we would have such a nice place. When, when all we were doing back 13 years ago was gathering to open scripture and worship. Amen? And so, uh, you know, Mark, you mentioned the word Gospel. The crazy thing is, is as we continue in the book of Mark, the same thing that God did in the Calvary movement, the same message, is our message today. And it's the same message in Mark. And it's the same God. Amen? So the same God with the same message through the same Holy Spirit is still changing lives. Okay, so let's not forget that. Let's not, let's not ever, you know, become a ho-hum or complacent or just take it for granted. There is a real life, honestly, spiritual life in this church. Think about it. Think about what God is doing in your life that you even got up and came. Okay? How many of you wanted to come here today? Okay, now keep that hand up. How many of you would be honest? There's a... Per- portion of your life a segment of your life where you would never have wanted to come to church so that's a hallelujah moment see i just made you like raise both hands right (laughs) you gotta celebrate that you gotta celebrate that and i get it sometimes it becomes routine sometimes uh, never ever ever take for granted the spiritual life that god has brought to you some of you may not even be on this planet but for the grace of god And your marriages and the healing and the freedom and your kids and everything that God has done in your life, never, ever take that for granted. Celebrate it. And that's a a large part of when we gather for worship on Sundays. That's why we never take it for granted. That's why I never take a men's breakfast granted or women's ministry event or anything. Because it's all about God. Amen? It's all about God. And as we continue through Mark, we're going to see today that it goes all the way back to what? John the Baptist and Jesus were preaching, same God, same message. It's called the gospel, right? And so I'm going to read through Mark 1, 1 through 8, to kind of bring us back up to speed, and then we're going to, uh, as we say around here, advance the ball a little bit. So Mark 1, 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay? In verse 1, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we saw Mark is kind of the, the gospel of action. Right, the word immediately, immediately, immediately. You're going to see it comes up like forty times. Okay, and right off the bat, he says, "Hey, let's just start with good news—the good news that Jesus the Messiah is coming." Amen. So right off the he says, "Hey, verse one, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, or the Messiah, the Anointed One, who is God. He's coming." Okay. In like fact, Mark 10:45 says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the gospel of Mark is about Jesus, the Messiah coming because he's on a mission and it's a good news mission to seek and save the lost. Okay. In verse two and three, it says this, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, Mark was writing to a Roman Gentile audience, his audience, his readers didn't know a lot about Jewish uh, religion or traditions. And so in this context, verse two and three, what the Roman Gentiles would understand is in that day when a king or some prominent official was going to come into a region, they would send a herald or a messenger ahead of them. And they would say, hey, people, next week, the king's coming through, prepare the roads, clean them up, get the rocks, fill the potholes, right? All that stuff, especially how many of you have hit some potholes, right? So it's like, hey, oh, hi, the king's coming. Fill the potholes on the 33, please, right? So not only the roads... But he says, prepare your hearts. Okay, so he sends a messenger. And in this case, the messenger is John the Baptist. And remember, two Sundays ago, we saw John the Baptist was not a Baptist, okay? It's John the Baptizer. They call him John the Baptist because he baptized people, okay? So John the Baptizer, it has been about 400 years of silence, okay? 400 years of silence since God has spoken through any prophets, 400 years later, John the Baptist shows up, and he's saying, hey, people, the king is coming. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Messiah. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself, okay? And so Mark 4 through 8 says this. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 says he was, appeared baptizing and really preaching in the wilderness. And to kind of give you a little geographical context, if you're familiar with uh, the country of Israel, uh, many believe that this was just west of the Dead Sea. So in this picture, I'm, I know many of you can't see it, but there's the Dead Sea. So just to the bottom left, uh, that's what the wilderness. That's where John the Baptist, they say, would started his ministry. Okay, give you some some geographical context. And then in verse 5, it says, All the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And I thought about that again in in, in thinking about and in watching the Jesus Revolution. Right? All the baptisms that were happening at Pirates Cove down in Orange County, right? Hundreds, if not thousands, right? And and it's the same thing that's happening. There's this parade of people, this constant flow of people coming out from the surrounding area in Jerusalem, Judea, responding to the message of John the Baptist, right? There's this movement of God. He's preaching something, people are hearing it, particularly the audience was Jewish. And they're responding by coming and confessing their sins and being baptized. And so I was thinking, well, what was he preaching? What? What, was, what was the core of the message? Right? And, and in, in, in order to see that, we go to Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, who was written to a Jewish audience. And in Matthew 3, it says this, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this is what he said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that reference to the kingdom of heaven is at hand is a reference to Jesus coming. Hey, get ready. The kingdom of heaven is on his way. Jesus is going to be here real quick, okay? And and, and he starts it by saying, repent. And today, there's a lot in this passage. And today, uh, I want to focus on this, this command to repent. Repent. Now, we're not going to be able to talk about biblical repentance without also talking about sin and confession and faith and we're going to try to, you know, do all of that Lord willing this morning. But this word repent, it's an interesting word depending on your church background. I always, I call it kind of one of them churchy words. Repent. Right? And and sometimes there's a lot of imagery and even emotion attached to that word right some of you may may associate the word repent with something like that right you're like yeah right i i see that on the news yeah this it, right repent that's about protesting and and kind of like some angry people yelling at some other people and they're supposed to do something and i'm not sure what they're supposed to do but it begins with r but I don't really know what the word means. I just, I just. there's a lot of, I, every time I've seen that word for some, and even for me growing up and, and you know, my initial experience was like, that's not a happy word. The people who are, who are using that word aren't happy, and the God that they're talking about doesn't seem to be very happy either. Right? There's just a lot of anger and a lot of, lot of not good feelings around that word. And and I want to acknowledge that because that's where I come from too, right? There's there's even maybe some of this happening with that word, and and you kind of sit back and you're like, was that what people were responding to? What what is this thing called repent and repentance? Because here's the thing, guys, it's a command, okay? Now here's the kicker, and here's what brings. Mark, or Matthew 3, 2, all the way up to March 19, 2023. John the Baptist says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word repent, the way it's grammatically, there's there's a, a verb tense, which calls the present imperative. Which means, it's a command, but it's also a continuous command. It's a lifestyle. Even as believers... In 2023, we are called to a lifestyle of continuous repentance. Wow. I didn't know that. I thought repent was like a one and done. I thought it's something I did at some point in my life, and then it's over, right? I, I repented. No, it's a command And it's a command that repentance be a part of our even walk with Jesus today. So we kind of got to understand what it is. And my prayer for you, honestly, is that as you understand biblical repentance and confession and its relationship to faith, I believe my prayer all week, as challenging as this this has been to to try to seek the Lord to how to do this in the context of a Sunday, some of you are going to have an aha moment. Some of these words like repentance, confession, sin, faith, I'm hoping that the dots get connected. And I'm hoping that the light bulb goes, ah. And you go, I get it. I get it. I get the gospel. And I get why I've even been struggling in my faith. Why I feel like I'm going up and down and I'm hot and I'm cold. Because here's the thing. Some of us as believers, without understanding repentance supposed to be a part of today, you've just been relying on yourself and your feelings and your emotions. And, and my prayer today is that the dots, the, the lines are going to be connected so much more clear. And you're like, I get it. Thank you, Lord. Now I can actually probably more clearly and biblically, literally go share my faith and now I can actually understand what's going on in my heart and make some godly choices moving forward. Okay? That's my prayer. That's my heart. So repent. Right off the bat, it's a command, but it's also be a lifestyle. It's not a one-off. Okay? So quick question. Just don't, don't raise your hand or thing. When was the last time you as a believer repented? Well, and some of you are like, I. I don't know. I didn't know I was supposed to, right? Again, this could, if you understand this, could be the reason you're still in bondage. Okay? So I'm hoping for freedom today. So, so let's look at the definition of the word repent and repentance. Basically, repent means to change one's mind and act on that change. Very important. It's a change of mind that results in action. Okay? Change of mind. Uh, It's not just an intellectual decision. It has a change of behavior, which means your attitudes, your interests, your direction in life. It's a lifestyle. It's not just a one time decision. We are to live a life of repentance. Okay? Great word picture here. Okay? Kind of help you understand it. Lose the image of the signs. And these two images will help you understand repentance better. Okay? Go ahead. Repentance is an about face. Or a U-turn. That's biblical repentance right there. Now we're going we're gonna to unpack this. But essentially, essentially, this is what it happens. I'm walking. I don't know Jesus. I'm self-sufficient. I'm independent. I got it all figured out. I don't even need God. So I'm walking this way. Over time, people share the gospel. I understand my need for a Savior. And repentance at the point of salvation is me making a U-turn and turning now to God. Okay. That's the salvation moment of repentance. U-turn from sin and self to Jesus. That also occurs in my life as a believer when temptation comes and I'm following Jesus as a whole. And something in my life comes, and I am tempted to start doing that. And sometimes I give in. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction. I confess. And then what else do I do? Begins with an R. Even as a believer, I've, I've made a sinful choice. I confess. And I now choose to Come back. And I keep walking. Okay? That's why. And there are literally, it changes even how you pray. There are times in my life where I say, Lord, I confess. And we're going to talk about what confession is. I confess my sin. There's nothing hidden from your sight. I agree with you that what I did, my choice was sinful. And then you know what? I don't stop there. I say this, and Lord, right now, I choose to repent of it. I'm choosing to turn away from that. Change. game changer you confess and you repent the confession is an acknowledgement that yeah i'm busted and i'm not going to hide it i'm not going to excuse it i'm not going to rationalize it i'm not going to try to justify it you call it sin i call it sin it's sin but lord now not only am i confessing it and agreeing with you i'm choosing to get back on the right path i'm choosing to turn away from this i'm choosing to turn off the internet It's a choice. This brings repentance. And actually, you know what? This brings the power of the Holy Spirit. This brings your faith to life. This is where it's dynamic, right? You're at work, things are happening. You make some poor choices with your language or some decisions, and you know it wasn't godly. Will you confess? And you choose, even in that work setting, Lord, I choose not to do this at work anymore. What just changed you and your work? Because you chose to repent in that situation. This is part of the transformation. God transforms us through confession and repentance. He reveals things in your life. He confronts you with it. And now that you have a choice. What are you going to do? You're going to hide it. You're going to bury it you're going to deny it you're going to run from it or you're going to say lord please forgive me and i choose to repent i turn away from it i turn away from it okay and and we're going to walk through this because we we really have to to get this and and there's a great example of the believers in a city called thessalonica in first thessalonians look what it says about them it says for they themselves report concerning us uh the kind of reception we had among you, this is Paul and his friends talking. He says, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You see the U-turn there? They turn to God from idols. And to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from their wrath to come. How many of you honestly celebrate a U-turn in your life? How many of you honestly right now celebrate that you used to serve idols? You used to be addicted. You used to have all these poor habits. You chose a U-turn and God has transformed you. You see how repentance isn't an angry, horrible word? Repentance brings life change. Repentance is a joyful word. Repentance is something that God uses to make us more and more like Jesus, to set us free from the old man and old woman, and to transform us daily through repentance. It is a beautiful word. It is a beautiful, beautiful word, okay? And so, uh, in Matthew 3, he says this, says, uh, when John says, "But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So here's the deal. We're going to see in a little bit that there's a difference between remorse and regret and biblical repentance, biblical repentance. There should be some evidence. In fact, there should be some fruit of true biblical repentance, okay? It's not just words. It's not just words. Uh, Matthew 3, 8 in the Amplified, I love this. He says this. So produce fruit that is consistent with repentance. That means demonstrating new behavior that proves a change of heart and a conscious decision to turn away from sin. There's got to be fruit. And this again is where the church kind of get stuck, okay? Now, right off the bat, I'm just going to say this. Your relationship with the Lord, only God really knows that, okay? As shepherds, as brother in Christ, I can only see what I see and hear what you tell me, okay? But a lot of times, what happens is we... We sin, we get caught up in behaviors, and we're really caught up with remorse and regret rather than repentance. And and we're going to navigate that a little bit. I want you to even think about it in your life. Is there something in your life right now that you feel really bad about, and you know you oughtn't to be doing it, and you get frustrated, and you feel bad when you do it? Well, are you just experience remorse and regret or actually desiring to turn from it. That may be where some of you have been stuck for a real long time. You're at remorse and regret. And that's part of it. But you're not at the place of repentance that you turn, that you turn. Okay? In Mark 1.5, it says this, In all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, And we're being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So integral part of biblical repentance, like I said, is confession. And Bill, I think you spoke to confession a few weeks ago. Confession is simply to agree with God about what he says about it. If God calls it sin, I call it sin. I agree with God. So biblical confession is to just agree and see sin as God sees sin. That's all confession is. Okay. It's a public acknowledgement and you're agreeing with God's verdict. So when I confess my sins before God, I'm just agreeing that, yes, God, again, I'm not rationalizing it, I'm not excusing it, I'm not saying, well, everyone does it, if the Bible calls it sin, Lord, I call it sin, I confess, I have sinned. That's biblical confession, okay? That's biblical confession. Now, what are we confessing? This thing called sin. And we've got to kind of talk about this a little bit, because, again, this may be something that especially if you're new to the faith. Sometimes, um, how many of you have ever had some well-meaning person try to talk to you about sin and you kind of got defensive? You kind of were like, well, what are you saying? Right? So we need to talk about confession and sin together. So Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, you've heard us talk about sin uh, in the context of sin. The, the, the definition really is missing the mark, missing the mark. And the the word picture for us back in from the culture way back when it was written, even today, is a great. It's it's archery, it's hunting. Sin is missing the mark, falling short of God's perfect standard, His holiness. Okay, and and we kind of get that. We kind of get that. I've shared with you before, you know, uh, God's, if God was grading, right, how many of you in school used to really hope that the teacher would grade on a curve? Anyone? You wanted a curve. Why did you like grading on a curve? Because you would look at everyone else in class like, I'm going to do pretty good. Because the grade was based on other people's performance, right? The average of how the class did. A lot of us hope... Mistakenly that God grades on a curve. He doesn't. Right? In fact, God grades on a straight scale. And in fact, his straight scale is perfection. One and done. It says if you've sinned one, you're guilty of breaking it all. Right? So how many of us would would agree at some point in your life you, you've sinned at least once? <laughs> well, Right? Thank you, Barry. Barry just admitted he's done 10. So, okay, so we said the gospel is good news. Well, the bad news, okay, and this is just understand we're talking just what sin is. Sin, according to God's standard, is falling short. His standard is perfection. So, if you and I have ever sinned at least once, we're done. We're done. Okay? Now, I got that. But the problem was, okay, I get it now as a believer, but when I wasn't a believer and I was in college especially, and my friends and others would try to share the gospel with me, they would share that verse, all have sinned. And they would look at me and say, see, you're a sinner. Oh, really? And, and, man, I just got defensive because I was a good guy. I was a good guy. Respected my parents. Didn't really break the law, right? I was at UCLA. I was going to make something of myself. I was a good dude. What are you calling me a sinner? Right? And, and, and the, the way they portrayed it, again, I get it. I get it. It's biblical, and I get it. They were trying their, their best to show me something right and 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 i was really challenged with it and and i was thinking of it because because in my mind i'm like i'm a good guy how many of you would say i'm a good person generally i'm just a good person so you know coming up to me out of the blue and saying hey you're a sinner doesn't really make me want to talk to you much more <laughs> i'm like oh really can you tell me more and then do i get a chance to tell you what i think about you right And then I was thinking, like, because I grew up with good guys. We, we were just good dudes, right? I mean, we weren't perfect, and we, you know, we grew up, most of us going to Roman Catholic Church, so we kind of had this God foundation and good moral guys, and we honored our parents. We had good fun. And, and so I found this photo way back in the day, you know, and I just, in the, in the interest of transparency, that's the boys, 1984, that's us as seniors. Now, I'm not going to tell you which one is me, and that'll be a mystery, (laughs) right? But I'm going to tell you something right now. We were just good old boys. We were just good guys having fun, going to school, playing sports. There's a lot of ASB. There's a president in there. There's a bunch of people like that. There's dudes I play basketball and football with, dudes I knew from elementary and middle school, junior high. We were just good guys, right? And so thank you, Allie, before they try to figure out who I am. She's like, do you want an arrow? I'm like, no, don't put an arrow. <laughs> Proudly wear my 80s hairdo. Thank you very much. But we were good guys, just in general, right? Not perfect, but just good guys. Doing what, pretty much, but on the spectrum of of academics and sports and vision for life and respect for parents and that, We were pretty much on the good to goody two-shoe side, right? And so I carried this into trying to understand sin. When I first was confronted and, you know, challenged with, you're a sinner, I'm like, didn't really, I didn't really take too well to sin because they were, they were looking at it. The way it was presented was sin was just outward actions sinful deeds, right? And, and I'm like, I was trying to really, I was trying to process just getting over my defensiveness and my pride, and I was like, uh, I disagree, I'm a pretty good guy. And I think God grades on a curve, thank you very much, right? It wasn't until I actually started to take the time to, to look at this idea of sin that I started to understand that sin isn't just outward acts, but it has to do with, a sin nature. There's this quote that really kind of challenged me and, and really helped me in this area. It says by R.C. Sprawl, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Think about that for just a second. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we already are sinners. It means the sinful choices we make in life, it's coming from something inside us. It's a sin nature. And so I'm like, oh, man, okay. Well, help me understand where this is coming from then. What is this? I'm a good guy, but okay, yeah, I get it. I don't always obey my parents. I don't always, you know. Where's that coming from? Well, it's coming from this nature, Romans 5.12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. It goes all the way back to the garden. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. It's the fall. It's the fall. Psalm 51.5, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. How many of you, as parents, uncles, aunts, have ever watched little kids and gone, holy cow, you didn't even have to teach them to be selfish and not share and say mine and say no and I don't want to? Anyone? You're like, what is that? What is that? Sin nature. You don't have to teach them. You didn't have to teach him. You know, I don't have to go to my granddaughter and say, Hey, Niala, grandpa's going to teach you to be selfish <laughs> and not share. And grandpa's going to teach you how you don't want to eat and listen to mommy. I don't have to teach her that. Right? It's evidence. It's in all of us. Right? And so I, when I started to understand that, I, I, it helped me to, to broaden my view, not just the biblical view of sin, but me. Like, okay, I can resonate with that. That there is something in me that compels me to, to serve me. Because that's what sin is. It's ultimately about me pleasing me. And me being on the throne versus God. That's really the core of sin. Right? It's a nature. It's, it's, and it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the fall. Because that's what the devil did. He tricked Eve into saying, hey, eat this, you're going to be like God. It's all about her, okay? Ephesians 2 says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our what? Sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. I get that. I can get that. I I can read a verse like that and go, wow, that's me before I knew Jesus. I was doing what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, what pleased me, and it was all about me. Right? We all used to live like that. And then you come to know Jesus, he begins to transform you, you're born again, and suddenly you want to go to church on Sunday. Suddenly you want to read your Bible, suddenly you don't want to cuss, suddenly you want to be more loving, suddenly you want to be honest, suddenly you want to handle your money different. It's because there's a transformation happening in you at the nature level. You have a new nature, right? When you're born again, you are given a new heart and new desires to want the things of God, Amen. How many of you celebrate that truth that you've been reborn and you now want the things of God? That's that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's a byproduct of you choosing repentance, right? And so the amazing thing here in, in the context of John the Baptist preaching to Jews was that Jews... God's chosen people were coming in repentance and confessing their sins. What's remarkable about that is if you were in this culture, if you were raised as a Jew, you were told that you're God's chosen people. And because you're of the heritage and line of Abraham, you're good to go. You're good to go. And suddenly John the Baptist shows up preaching to the Jews and says, hey, King of kings is coming. Messiah is coming. Prepare your hearts. And the Jews realize being of the line of Abraham isn't enough. I need a savior. I need to repent and confess my sins. And for us in 2023, sometimes we think we're good to go. And for a while, you know, my journey to faith in Jesus was I was a good guy. I still went to church, and I didn't really do a lot of bad things I think I'm good to go. I think, you know, on the scale, if there's a scale of really evil, wicked people and really, really saintly people, I think I'm going to be on the half of the good people. So I think I'm good to go, right? And my prayer for you, if you don't know Jesus, maybe the hesitancy, maybe God's going to speak to your heart this morning and say, you know what? Let go of everything that you're trying to save yourself with. Let go of it all. Even, you know, with five kids, and I'm a pastor, 30 years, I had to release all of my kids' salvation to be between them and Jesus. Them being Pastor Richie's kids was not going to save them. In fact, it could actually hinder there. And I had to be very careful that I let my kids just be kids and just work it out and be normal teenagers through high school at Nornoff and all that kind of stuff without the heavy trip of being a PK. Pastor's kid. I had to release that. And when they went through the challenges at Nordoff and the challenges of life, I had to pray for them. And I had to just literally understand that their salvation was their, their decision to repent or not. I could influence it, I could role model it, I could try to encourage them, speak the truth in love, but I had to release them. Amen? And so here, the Jews come to this revelation that they need a Savior. And my prayer for someone here this morning or online is that I, gotta, I need a Savior. Maybe I've been banking on something. I got my ace in my back pocket that I'm going to be good to go. The only way you're going to know if you're good to go is if you know Jesus. You got to know Jesus. You know Jesus, you're good to go. The Bible says if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. It's kind of like that. Okay? And so uh, we talked about repentance not being the same as remorse or regret. It's very important. Very important as well, right? 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. There's This verse brings out that there's two different kinds of sorrows. And sometimes when you're working with the believer and counseling and encouraging, you've got to figure out which one you're dealing with. Because it'll really bring clarity where where their heart is or isn't. Okay? Homer Kent says this. This repentance is a true change of mind regarding the matters at issue, not just a response of emotion. Unbelievers who are brought to this kind of repentance experience the salvation of God. Sinning Christians, when convicted of their sin and genuinely repentant, will resume the sort of contact, conduct that should characterize their salvation in its present aspect. So what they're saying is this. If I'm following Jesus, and I, I'm in an issue, and I'm struggling, and I'm making some pretty tor- poor choices of sin, and God's trying to convict me, I can feel remorse and regret, right? And go, oh, I know I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't. And I can do this and then I could just keep going, right? It's like I'm following Jesus, I make some poor choices, and now I'm going back to my own way. I'm feeling regret, 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 you know, and I'm like, Jesus, Jesus, and then people come into my life, and I start to turn, and if I don't have genuine repentance, I just made a 360. And so some of us, you're wondering why I can't shake this, even though I feel really bad. It's because you're dealing more and you're living with remorse and regret rather than true repentance. Rather than true repentance. And so your faith is like this, right? You're following Jesus and then you made a U-turn back and you're, this is your faith, this is your walk. But every time you do this, you feel really bad. You just feel really bad. I know I shouldn't. Oh, I blew it again. Yeah. So turn that way. I get your remorse. I'm even going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you don't like it and you don't feel good. But here's your answer. Turn that way back to Jesus. And bear fruit of repentance. Do what you need to do to get back with Jesus. Amen? Now, here's the truth. One of the most heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching truths of ministry. Repentance is a door that's locked from the inside. I cannot... And you cannot force someone to repent. And that's heartbreaking. Gut-wrenching. Because you see what their sin is doing to them. You know where it's leading. You're trying your hardest to love them, share God's word with them, pray with them. But I just want to help you to understand, repentance is a door locked from the inside. It's a work of the Spirit. Not that you shouldn't be involved. Not that you shouldn't pray, okay, But there's a fine line between you becoming someone's Holy Spirit and trying to force them to repent with the sign. Repentance is an inside-out job. Do the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And there's consequences for not repenting. Look what Charles Swindoll says. Very important. When a person starts down a path of rebellion and refuses correction they begin to experience the effects of alienation from God's people, God's principles, and God's power. The result? That person loses the safety of the church, the wisdom of God's word, and the benefits of spiritual nourishment and inner strength. The final outcome of this can be actual physical death. There's consequences to making a turn away from the Lord Because now you're turning away from the people of God The word of God Everything that he brings into your life to keep you safe We probably all know people Who at one point were committed to Christ And in church And and on fire for Jesus And somewhere along the line they started to make choices And those choices were actually turns away And over time Because they chose not to repent They're gone They've left for now, Lord. Hopefully, they'll come back, and that's gut wrenching. That's heart wrenching. The door's always open for them to come back. Amen. And we pray. But I want you to understand, repentance is an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. Okay. And so, questions before we continue move on is, do you, do I have people in my life, who will keep me? going where I need to go. And do I have people in my life, if I start to do this, that they'll go, hey, bud. Do you have people in your life that you give permission to speak freely and truthfully about what they're seeing, about if they start to see you kind of straying off? Do you have people in your life? In your life, in your time with the Lord, do you confess? Are you willing to say, Lord, I confess my sins, but Lord, I also am choosing to repent? And in that repentance, you might need help from a brother or sister. Hey, you know what? I have been in this habit. I have been stuck here. God's put it on my heart. I really need to repent. I need to turn. I want to turn. Will you help me? Sure. Let's make it real, right? Evidence, fruit of repentance. Let's make it real, okay? I share this with Paul with too. If maybe you're working with a brother or sister in the Lord and they're coming at you repeatedly with maybe even the same issue, after a while, you've got to ask yourself, Am I Lord, show me, is this remorse, regret, or repentance? That, that's okay. You can ask that honest question. And then you can ask your brother or sister, can I ask you a question? Lynn, you, you you know, we've been meeting and you've been sharing this issue with me and I know you feel really bad. But Lynn, can I just ask you an honest question? Are you repentant or are you just remorseful? Are you repentant or are you just regret it every time? Suddenly, game changer. Suddenly, you shift from just becoming like, "Oh, it's okay, Lynn. God will forgive you. I'm here for you." Right? But all I'm doing at potentially in that time is just enabling because he knows that the next time he does it and feels remorse and regret, he's going to come to Pastor Richie and I'm just going to give him a hug. It's a lot different if I say, yeah, Lynn, I get it. All have to say, I struggle too. But let me ask you a question. Are you really repentant? Do you desire to turn from this issue? And if you say yes, then let's figure that out together. And if he says no, I know where we stand because that door is locked from the inside. I'm here for him, I love him I'm not going to bail on him but I also know until he chooses to repent I'm not going to fix him I'm not going to fix him that's the work of the Holy Spirit, amen it's kind of also the work of life remember the prodigal son when did the prodigal son come to his senses when he was with the pigs and lost all his money right he finally hit bottom he says wait a sec wait a sec my servants and my father have they're they're good to go i'm going back home and i'm saying father i have sinned sometimes people will come to the place of repentance when they actually hit the bottom i can't force the bottom sometimes i think they're at the bottom I've been there many times in 30 years through counseling and counseling and counseling, and I think finally Lin's hit the bottom, and he thinks he's hit the bottom. But lo and behold, by the fruit of his life, he didn't hit the bottom. And then maybe we lose sight, and he does his thing, and he goes, does a prodigal thing. And then one day, or I get a phone call, he's like, hey, can we meet? And it's a different Lin, because out there in the world, he got... And he hit bottom and he said, you know what, Lord, I need to turn. I need to come home. And so we have a different level of conversation because the door of repentance opened in your heart and we start fresh and new again. Okay. So I'm hoping that that helps you personally, but also helps you minister to one another. We speak the truth in love. And sometimes we just got to weed through if this person is just stuck in remorse and regret or if they are truly repentant. Two completely different ways to approach it. Okay, I share that with you to help you. Albert Barnes says this. False repentance dreads the consequences of sin. True repentance dreads sin itself. I don't want to sin. It's not that I don't want to get caught. I don't don't dread getting caught. I don't want to hurt Father. I don't want to sin against God. That would right? I'm in a love relationship with God. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to sin against him, right? You remember Joseph and Potiphar's wife? And and Potiphar's wife keeps coming at him wanting to sleep together. And he's like, come on, Joe, let's let's do this. And no one's going to know. And remember his response to her? He says, how could I do this and sin against God? It wasn't the consequences. His issue of not wanting to sin was that it was a sin against God, A repentant heart just doesn't want to sin against and hurt Father. Amen? It's an issue of our whole view of sin. I don't want to sin. Right? Randy, you love Tracy. There's things you do for her and things you choose not to do just because you love her. And you don't want to hurt her. You want what's best for her. You don't want to do anything to hurt the relationship. That's what keeps you in check. Love. Love keeps us in check for him, right? I've shared with you before, sometimes people think it's fear. Fear is the motivator, right? Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Sometimes as parents, we get caught up in consequences, right? And I've shared with you before, fear only works like in the life of a kid if they're afraid of getting caught, right? Right? They're afraid of getting caught. So they don't do something because they're afraid of getting caught. What if mom finds out? What if dad finds out? Ooh, right? So you're afraid. Now, that motivation of fear goes out the window when you think you got it all figured out. And there's no way mom or dad are ever going to know. And there won't be any consequences. How many of you growing up had it all figured out? So mom and dad weren't going to find out and there would be zero consequences, right? Oh, you're pointing at her? Okay, so, okay. So, the greater motive is love. How many of you parents would rather your son or daughter not choose to do things because they love you and don't want to hurt you? Not out of fear of getting caught and you lowering the boom. You see? That's us in the new covenant. We... Obey Jesus. He says, if you love me, obey me. Our obedience is out of love, not out of getting smashed by the big principle in the sky. We don't want to sin because we don't want to hurt our relationship with Father. Amen? Right? That's the heart of repentance. Now, what's interesting is Jesus in Mark 1, when he comes on the scene, he actually preaches the same thing that John the Baptist had. Look what he says in Mark 1. 14. Now, after John was arrested, and we're going to eventually get there, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus himself called us to repent. And then to believe and have faith. And have faith. And in fact, the apostle Paul said the same thing. Acts 20. Speaking to the church, uh, the elders in Ephesus, he says, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is about both repentance and faith. Two sides of the same coin. You got to have them both. What do I mean by that? It means before I knew Jesus, boom, all about me, living my life. I'm on the throne. I don't need God. I'm good to go. When I turn in repentance in response, I repent. But now my faith object, the object of my faith is Jesus, not me. So repentance and faith go hand in hand, okay? Now biblical faith, again, is just, it's not just mental ascent, it's you choosing, okay? And I share this with you a lot because I think it helps you. Right now, since you've been here, since service started, you have been exercising faith, what we would even call biblical faith, in something. What? Your chair. How many of you have been nervous about the chair holding you up since you've been here? How many of you have helped the chair hold you up? How many of you have just plopped down and didn't give it a second thought? Okay. Right now, you're resting in the chair. The object of your faith is the chair, not you. Right? That's biblical faith in Jesus. You are resting in Jesus. Now, so you got to get this because sometimes you think, we think that my faith, the object of my faith is my faith. What do you mean by that? Okay, that's what I mean. When I sit in this stool, my faith says the stool will support me and I rest on the stool, right? So the object of my faith is what? What if I said, I need to help the stool? I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Stool, stool, stool. And I get to the point that, that I actually believe that I'm the one doing it rather than the stool. See, some of us in our Christianity... We believe that we're still the object rather than Jesus. Rest in Jesus. He's the one that was crucified, died, and rose from the dead. It's finished. Rest in his finished work. You put your faith in him, but don't get caught up in having to believe, having to believe, having to believe, having to believe. And it's your faith. You are actually this very subtle. And I know you're going kind to of come to like, right? You're going kind to of come think that Some of us as believers, our faith is in ourselves believing and then we become the object of the faith it's not you it's not you at all you choose to rest in the finished work of jesus you're saved and you stay sitting in the finished work of jesus amen that's what that's the good news that's repentance and faith before jesus i was resting on me my life rested on me i turned my eternity rests on the finished work of Jesus. That's why people get kind of, how do you know you're saved? Jesus. It's that simple? Yeah. I'm just, I'm just resting in the finished work of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Crazy, huh? The finished work of Jesus. God opens your eyes to the gospel, the good news of your need for a savior. You turn in repentance. You put your faith in Jesus. You're saved. That's it. That's it. I can't overcomplicate it. It's that. That's, That's why you're here. That's why this place exists. So that we all just, like you said in the beginning, the gospel is we all are resting on Jesus. That's what this is. That's what this is. Okay, that's the good news. That's repentance and faith. That's why, you know, I, I was just like, oh, Lord, how are we going to do this in one day? And I just want you to catch the heart. Biblical repentance, confession, sin, faith, it's all part of the good news. It's all good news. Amen? It's just all good news. And somewhere, you know, I get, we're not, we're not minimizing God's wrath, God's judgment. We're not, you know, God is holy. We get all of that. But look what it says in Romans 2, 4 and 5. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to what? It's his kindness. Not his anger, not his wrath. It's his kindness that's designed to lead us to repentance. Right? And I kept reading, and one verse more shows me who the real problem child is. Moi. Look what it says. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you, you, me, are storing up wrath against myself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will reveal. God's not the problem. It's my stubborn heart. That was the issue. And when I got over that issue and I realized God is holy and he is loving and he is just, but he's also gracious, compassionate, forgiving kind, all demonstrated because he sent Jesus. You know what? I had to give it up. (laughs) I came to the place of repentance and faith because I realized it was my own heart, my own stubborn, unrepentant heart that was the problem, that was the obstacle. It wasn't God. The Bible says God wants everyone to be saved. The Bible says God so loved the world. He's not the problem. He's not the problem. We are. It's our heart. It's our stubborn unwillingness to just go that way. Okay? Romans 5:8. God chose His love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2: For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's a gift. It's a gift, right? And I shared part of the good news. We call it around here the three tenses of salvation I've shared with you over the years. Past tense, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Amen? Is that a woo-hoo? <laughs> we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Romans 5.1 says we have peace with God. Right? Present, we are saved from the power of sin. Romans 6, you are no longer a slave to sin. Amen? You're no longer a slave. You can say no to sin. You do not have to sin. Ooh, thank you. We got one woohoo, and everyone's like, "Really? I don't know. Thank gosh." That is a woohoo moment. How many of you would woohoo? I'm not a slave to sin. You got to believe that. You've been saved from the penalty of sin. You are saved currently from the power of sin. And in the future, you're going to be saved from the presence of sin. 1 John 3, 2 says when Jesus comes back, we all get new bodies with no sin. Who's ready for a sinless body? Well, a woo-hoo. Thank you. Anyway, we got a woo-hoo. Because the ailments, you, you, the ailments that you are suffering right now in your physical body are because of the fall. Because we live in a fallen world. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are saved from the past sin today. In the future, we are going to be saved from the presence of sin. What's that all come down to? Repentance. Repentance and faith. That's the good news. Amen. All right. Let's.
0: Uh, so our first announcement is Jordan.
1: Well, hello. Good morning, everyone. Mark said, "My name is Jordan. I am the youth director here." At the well, and not only that, but I am the tech director. So many of you may maybe have heard the uh, that little booth back there. It's called the bridge. That's what we call it, or the audio visual uh, booth. And um, I, I just wanted to share a little bit about some of the things that we do back there, because I I see a lot of young and old faces that perhaps could maybe turn some knobs and stuff back there. Uh, so so like I said, I, I do youth stuff and, and tech stuff, and, you know, we we have a pretty small team back there. We actually have a, a picture of a few of us. There we are. And I don't know if you can see Shiloh. We had to make sure she got in there. She was taking the picture for us. Uh, so we have a few others that are in there as well, and, uh, you know, we, we talk about volunteering here a lot, and, you know, one of the really, I think, important things that's that's more important than volunteering is... And I mentioned this last week uh, when I was sharing was the whole idea of family. And so last week, Mark was like, hey, why are you here at worship rehearsal? And for me, I I think God really put on my heart to was the whole idea of family. And we're here as a family. And one of the great privileges that we have as the church is that God has actually gifted all of us uniquely. So we do have talents and skills and a kind of Human sense, we can all do things, and we're gifted, and you know, many of that is seen in the jobs that we have. But God has gifted us uniquely with spiritual gifts, and everyone has them as a believer. And so, one of the things that I think that makes us a family is the way that those gifts are used for and with each other, and the way that we help and build one another up. And so, although, of course, we always ask for volunteers for us to really work together as the church. And I, I really think, and, and I'm asking, you know, for you to seek an opportunity to bless people here in a maybe unconventional way by, by jo- joining the, uh, the tech team. Now, some of you, I know a lot of you say, well, that's scary and complicated. And I, yeah, I see you there. <laughs> and, and I don't know how to do that. And you know, wh- whenever something's new, we, we don't know how to do it. And you know, we learn. And I would, if you asked me 10 years ago, do you think you would be preaching on a Sunday or talking to students? I would say no, because my gifting is, is like serving. That's really where I feel like my gifting is set. That's why I like to be in the back, not up here. I, I don't like being on stage in front of everybody. But I just want to encourage you to really pray and seek, you know, God, what are my gifts? How can I bless people in the church? Because that's really what we get to do. We get to bless all you with sound that just enhances our time together and enhances, you know, gives people the ability to watch this online. And so we in the bridge are, you got it, Ailey? We, we want you <laughs> to think about coming back and, and learning. And I just want to say, I was thinking about sharing this today, and Isaac's like, hey, someone just asked if I could, they could go and, and help serve. So they're actually in there first time today, and they don't know anything. At least I don't think. He, he's never done it, been in the, the sound booth. And I, I, Isaac said, I'm going to make sure that he does something with the camera. So so someone first time back there. And so I just encourage you to think about the ways that God could, maybe has gifted you, that you could just bless people. And it's a great opportunity to learn something new and to enjoy fellowship and just be a part of God's family. So thank you.
0: Thank you, Jordan. So just a few more family uh, business items. Um, as many of you know, uh, we have a mission trip this June, June 18 to 24, going down to Mexico with Homes of Hope. We're building two houses. So we have a first, and I, it's kind of honestly kind of a good news, bad news thing. This is the first time ever. I've been leading these trips for 20 years. This is the first time we've ever filled up. So we are literally, as of Friday, the trip's full. I got a waiting list of people who are hoping to jump in on the trip. So praise the Lord for that. That is God's faithfulness and God's work in all of our hearts. So that is good news. Um, So I've always talked about three things that all of us can participate in. You can go on the trip, but sorry, not in June. Uh, We're full. Uh, You can pray, and that's something you can be doing for the 25 people who are going down on this trip and just be really thinking about them and the YWAM team that we work with and the two families that we're going to be building homes for. And you can give money. Uh, This trip is not cheap. We have a target of about $28,000. That's just the cost of building the two houses themselves, all of our labor, everything else is free, and so far, we have collected about $4,500, so we're making good progress, uh, if the Lord puts it on your heart to just donate, there's lots, of, any way you donate to the church, you can just make it out to Mexico, just that one word on there makes it clear where that money's going to be going, so um, wanted, uh, something else, Good Friday service, uh, coming up on April 7th, it's going to be at 6.30 p.m., down at Libby Bowl, and uh, actually, I think our church is doing worship, right so we're responsible for worship. We encourage you to join us on April seventh six thirty down at Libby Bowl um, on that uh, following Sunday on Easter Sunday, you've heard a lot about it there's going to be a lot of activity going on after church. It's kid-centric, but it's all family-friendly. So there's going to be food, there's going to be entertainment, there's going to be a couple of jolly jumps, there's uh, the Easter egg hunt for the kids, so lots of things for adults and kids. We encourage everyone to come. Um, We are still looking. We've got a lot of the pre-filled eggs. Thank you for those of you who've donated them already. We do uh, have room for a little bit more, so if you'd like to buy and purchase and bring some pre-filled eggs filled eggs, uh, we'll put those to good use. Um, and lastly, um, our brother Pat Pagnisat um, passed away and went to be with the Lord recently, and we are having a family memorial for Pat on Saturday, April 15th, two o'clock here. Um, we'll be reminding everybody about that between now and then. If you have any questions, Pastor Tyler is the guy to see. So let me just pray, and if you'll stand, we're going to move into some more worship.